What is up, y'all? Welcome to Culture. I'm your host, Leslie Lee Third. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Much appreciated, as always. What's up? What y'all want to talk about? In case you didn't notice, your boy made made the headlines, made the dirt sheets today on Twitter. Had nothing to do with me, thankfully. It was journalism. Just doing some journalism, folks. Just doing some journalism, some digging into the crime cartel. I'm just joking when I say that. If I ever say anything like that about the McMahons, I'm just joking. That's not me as a journalist. I, I would never say the McMahons are a crime cartel, except in my capacity as a comedy podcast host. But as a journalist, as a journalist, I did put out a story today that did got a little bit of traction from people. Lots of people uh, checked it out, including some of the people who were the subject of it. Title of that article was uh, "Source: Kevin Dunn Didn't Think Becky Lynch." Uh, Becky Lynch, a WWE wrestler. Look her up; she's pretty famous. Uh, Kevin Dunn, not so famous. You can look him up too. It might be worthwhile to do that just to have a picture of Kevin Dunn in your head when we go over this story. But WWE producer Kevin Dunn did not think that Becky Lynch was attractive enough to be world champion. And this is something he said uh, at a meeting um, around the time when she first won the title. So it was a while ago, 2016. At the same time, it came out that she he was also was done was also not a fan of her accent he's not a fan of accents in general uh the rumor the scuttlebutt was that he was going to start cutting her mic time her tv time uh, which would you know directly affect her career just because he didn't like her accent even though she was and continues to be one of the most popular wrestlers in the company one of the best talkers in the company from what i understand i don't watch enough uh, of you know modern WWE to quite know but that's the general uh, feeling I get it. and uh, so I was able to break that story add that little layer to that story that was already known because Kevin Dunn somehow is still holding on he'll keep holding on Kevin Dunn who for people who don't know executive vice president of television production for WWE for like 40 years They've had the same guy producing their TV show for 40 years, which is kind of unheard of in television. The same guy. It's like, it's like I don't know, it's almost like the dedication of a, like, a, magak, a magak, uh, mangaka, you know? Like Kevin Dunn, like WWE is Kevin Dunn's like One Piece or his Berserk, and he's just going to work it on it till it, he dies. At least that's what he thought. At least that's what he thought. He thought he had a job for life. He was one of the... is uh, He's still there. He is one of the most powerful people in the company. And he's known for being... And that's why he's so outspoken like this. Uh, as my I, I was told, you know, he feels very protected. Um, as I say in the article, he feels like... You know, he can just say anything he wants, even to talent, which is kind of strange. Because he's just like a guy who sits in a truck. He ain't a superstar. WWE superstar, as the terminology goes. He's not the guy you pay to see on TV. 
No one's ever bought a Kevin Dunn t-shirt. Kevin Dunn isn't on any lunch boxes. They're not asking Kevin Dunn to come on the Tonight Show and chat up with, you know, Jay Leno. That doesn't happen for Kevin Dunn. Kevin Dunn is, and this is something you can hear from many, many people who've worked in the company, mostly there at the largesse of Vince McMahon. Now, again, I cannot confirm this, but the rumor is that Kevin Dunn has a ha, has a job for life there because of some deal McMahon made with Kevin Dunn's father, like his father, like Dunn's father worked for Vince's father. It's something. It's something strange that even the people who worked there don't get, don't understand. And do want to cl- be clear. Some people mentioned this, but do want to be clear. Just be, Vince Dunn's word has a lot of power, but obviously it's not absolute. Otherwise, Becky Lynch wouldn't have been champion several times. You know, there are other influences. It's like a, it's like a Royal court over there. It's like succession. Okay. Not everybody has absolute power, but Kevin Dunn compared to the average wrestler, the average person on the roster, the some person on the roster that doesn't have an advocate for them in the locker room, like a Becky Lynch might have, excuse me, not the locker room in the uh, creative meetings. That is, you know, <clears throat> a big power imbalance. Dunn, can, as Moxley says, I, I quote him, uh, one comment, one little seed planted by a guy in Kevin Dunn's position can be extremely detrimental to someone's future there. And there's tons of stories about that. There's tons of stories. I even have to quote all of, all of them, but... Uh, Billy K, a.k.a. Jesse McKay, Australian wrestler, great wrestler, fantastic wrestler. I remember when Jesse McKay first started coming um, from Australia to Shimmer in Chicago, take that flight over with Madison Eagles. And everybody was so impressed with her. And, you know, at the time, everybody looked there and said, oh, my God, she is like made for WWE. She has the look that they're going for. She has the wrestling style that they're going for. She looked like she could be, you know, she looked like she could be, uh, they still called him at the time, a diva. Now she was at the shimmer show, you know, so she knew how to wrestle. They knew, she knew how to wrestle. She knew what she was doing, but people saw her and was like, Oh, she would be perfect for WWE. It took a while for her to get there. And it was her goal, uh, from what I understand to go there. And it took her quite a while, while to get there. But scuttlebutt it, but is word on the street is that Kevin Dunn looked there and said, "You know what? I don't see it. I don't see it in Jesse McKay, even though she's been a successful wrestler in many different promotions across the world. Kevin Dunn didn't see it in her and decided that she had the quote was a ceiling as a wrestler, and I think." Given the reports I've shared and have been shared over the years, we think I think we can guess what that what he kind of meant by what he, she he didn't have, uh, what she didn't have uh, for him, I should say, what he thought she was missing. I think we can probably guess uh, what that was, and she ended up being released by the WWE in in April 2021. In what was a surprise to wrestlers, like wrestlers who still had their jobs in WWE, actually took the Twitter and were kind of like, "What the fuck? Why would you release 
Jesse McKay, who is, you know, just a great wrestler, tall, beautiful, you know, talented, great personality, can do face, can do heel. My God, was she over as a face of the shimmer. She was like the most popular, most popular uh woman on the roster on some nice man she was she was so over she had it all and then you know after she gets released along with her uh tag team partner they go to tna uh excuse me impact now and they kill it they kill it they had a great little tag team run there great matches won the titles built those titles up fun stuff fun stuff and she's a obviously a great talent obviously a great wrestler could have offered a lot to the WWE, to the business as a whole. But Kevin Dunn saw a ceiling for her. And so now she's actually out of the, out of the business. They, uh, the Iconics, they actually stepped away from the ring. They didn't say they weren't coming back. And they, and they said they had a great time with their, uh, impact run. And they thanked them, uh, profusely from that, but for that, but they are pursuing other endeavors like many, 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 many women over the years in WWE have been forced to do. Now I've been thinking, I've been talking about these revelations about Vince and all the rumors that we know about the WWE, all the things we've heard. We've heard of, we know about Marie being fired when she was pregnant. We know about John Laurinaitis, uh, Head of talent relate former, I guess we can say former head of talent relations since Triple H was officially named the new head. So John Laurinaitis, even though he's technically suspended, not fired yet, we know about the era where he would hire women from swimsuit catalogs while there were many, you know, talented wrestlers outside the company that couldn't get a look. We know that if you wanted to get a look by the WWE as a female wrestler, you need to invest in breast implants for a very long time when it came to WWE. We know wrestlers who have talked about this, who have said they never would have gotten breast implants if not for the fact that they had to get them for a job in WWE. And then when you compound that... With, you know, things like the Piggy James storyline or the Vince McMahon, uh, I don't know what you call it, the sexual harassment angle that he ran where it was just week after week. It was him filling up a new diva where Kevin Candace Michelle talked about how it was like everybody it was like everybody's turn more or less. And he would go through the roster and he would do a storyline where he was having an affair with this diva, that diva, the next diva. You combine that with the actual fact that in the real world, he was sexually harassing uh, the female workers in the WWE. And we know this and he had to pay NDA for it. Millions and millions of dollars that we know about. That Well, actually, I, I'm mistaken that. We know about $12 million in NDAs, but what keeps popping up is that everybody in the industry and everybody who's been following this has looked at these NDA stories that have come out in the Wall Street Journal and they've said, oh, these aren't even the stories that we know about. This is stuff that's new to people in the industry. They know about other stuff and other women. 
So that's, you know, that's what's coming down the line for Vince McMahon and more stories are coming out. Uh, Real Sports HBO is apparently working on a story on this, which I think scares the shit out of WWE because Real Sports, HBO, Discovery, Time Warner, AEW. Real Sports, one of the HBO, Time Warner, Warner Brothers, that's one of the few platforms that WWE does not already have a deal with. They got to deal with Fox. They got to deal with Disney. Has a deal with Netflix. I'm not sure if it's quite done. Have a deal with NBC, massive one. They're essential to all their programming. HBO as AEW, more or less. HBO is in the AEW universe. They don't care. That's why CNN has also done three segments on the Vince story. I don't think you're going to see a lot of segments on MSNBC about the Vince story. I suspect. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. But I don't suspect they're doing uh, too many segments about this on MSNBC. But you're seeing them on CNN, owned by Warner Time Warner. Excuse me, Discovery. It's Discovery uh, Warner now. And I think, you know, all this, and I think some of the stuff that they are going to dig up in that real sports investigation, because people just have not looked. People have not interviewed former WWE wrestlers in, like, a serious manner, like, at least in the mainstream media. People have not ask these women what they've gone through, what they've experienced, even though fans know a lot of stories that would be textbook sexual harassment in any industry that we know about, that people have laughed about, that WWE has even talked about on some of their documentaries, on some of their shows. So you combine all that together, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know, I'm just throwing this out there, if I were a female wrestler, in the past 34 years, you know, maybe even go that far. And I know that I'm consistently paid less, no matter my performance, especially by WWE, in WWE. I know I have less opportunities, less opportunities for promotion. My career is going to be shorter. There's probably a lot of quotes from WWE executives stating exactly these things. In fact, there are stating that women aren't as important, aren't going to get paid as much, aren't going to have as long careers. Pre-performance in their days. But Triple H is on record saying some of these things pre the NXT uh, rebrand. When you are a female wrestler and you know that if you want to succeed in the industry based upon the standards of the WWE, you have to get breast implants. Like, that was just common knowledge, common fact. I'm, I'm probably, there's a WWE trainer or two who probably said it out loud to a wrestler once or twice. So when you put all that together, and then you put it with the fact that the number one and the number two, essentially at the company, were doing quid pro quo sexual harassment with the talent multiple talent and had to play pay NDAs to cover this up. And this included as well, you know, sexual assault 
in this, a coercive sexual act. And that these women's jobs were on the line, were, you know, essentially tied to these sexual relationships. I don't know if you're a female wrestler, I don't know how you don't have like a class action lawsuit. You know, an industry-wide one. When you add all that together, the lower pay and <laughs> is wild because WWE, because I, I mean, there's so there's so much dirt on WWE because they have they get they have given so many interviews and they talk so much shit in them, and so when someone asked them straight up, well, why aren't the women treated equally? Why aren't they you know paid the same? You know, before you know a little bit of the rebranding, they would just come out and say, oh, because the women aren't as important. Women, no one cares about the women's matches. I think was it Hunter that actually had the um, the piss break match quote. This is old school wrestling uh, uh, stuff, folks. Old wrestling message board stuff. All, people have forgotten about this. Everybody's like very excited for Triple H and Stephanie McMahon to take over as the brand new. Uh, uh, as well, I guess Stephanie is co-CEO and chairwoman, while Khan is co-CEO and Triple H is head of talent relations. And everybody's kind of excited about this because Vince has officially retired. Folks, he put out a note basically saying that he was still going to be watching. He was still going to be judging. He was still going to be calling the shots. He, I mean, the note to the talent was <laughs> seemed very clear to me. I'll still be watching. Make sure to keep your hands up and grab a hold. He named his specific pet peeves in his ongoing away letter. That doesn't sound like a going away letter to me. At least that that's my opinion. Maybe if, some, if you feel differently, feel free to call in. If you think Vince is done, done, really done. Feel free to call in. If you want to talk about Kevin Dunn, that story. Feel free to call in. We can talk about anything that you want at all. We can talk about wrestling. We can talk about death before dishonor last night. But we talked about wrestling a bit. Why don't we talk about Nope? I got a chance to see that last night. I hope y'all got a chance to see it. I saw it in IMAX. YB read the article, said, got to see it on the biggest screen possible. We did. Beautiful IMAX theater. The film, enjoyable. Enjoyable. I enjoyed it. Glad I went to see it. I I would probably watch it again. I'd probably watch it again. But... Probably not my favorite Peel movie. Probably my least favorite. There's certainly some good parts to it. The mystery has a pretty good payoff. There's lots of, you know, it's, I love the characters. I love Kiki Palmer. But they're just, the movie feels very restrained at a lot of times. Doesn't quite feel like horror a lot of times. Which maybe maybe that's what he was going for. But I feel like we could have seen a little bit more blood and guts. A little bit tenser mood earlier. Gotten into the film a little bit faster. 
and also the whole there's a there's a conceit of the film and this is this is light spoilers really but yes it's another movie about making movies okay the metaphor hits you very much over the head over and over again it's a movie about making movies and it's hard to make a really tense and interesting horror movie about that it's hard to make a movie where the the stakes essentially are if we if we can get how can i say the spoiler free if we can uh, oh if this is no spoiler at all if we can get this phenomenon on camera we'll become rich and famous the film is actually kind of reminds me a bit of twister which is an odd movie it's a movie because it is about people, you know, risking their lives, you know, well, in a, it's about people in a life or death situation, but they're deliberately risking their lives for like, you know, money and fame and ego. And it's like, it's not, that's not really scary. It's not really scary to me. That's not, that's a different kind of thing. But I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed the pace. I enjoy. I didn't enjoy some of the CGI for some reason. And this this isn't a spoiler because it's like the, it's the very first thing you see. There's a CGI monkey in there, even though at times they use like a practical effect to show parts of the monkey, like they would in an old movie, you know, where you would just see. You don't, you don't need to see a bunch of the monkey. You don't need, you, they didn't need a CGI monkey, okay? The monkey's just there to, you know, tear, tear some shit up right quick. But for some reason, they have the CGI monkey, so, and it just does not look real. It doesn't look real. It's the first thing you see in the movie, and I don't know if that's the first, if, if a CGI animal is the first thing you want to see in a horror movie that's kind of trying to, that's trying to build a mood, build a tension. I don't know. It it wasn't a bad film. I didn't think it was a bad movie. I just felt there were a few missteps. It didn't really have the stakes weren't what, what they needed to be or what they could have been. Because this movie is is comparable, I think, to a, a bit about a bit like War of the Worlds or some also Godzilla kaiju movies Evangelion, but the scale ends up feeling a lot smaller than any of that stuff. If you get my drift. It could have been a bigger movie. It could have been a bigger flick. It, but it kept it kind of small. And it didn't feel like it had a very big cast for this kind of movie. You didn't get to meet a ton of the characters that you see in this town that's experiencing this phenomenon. And then, and as the movie goes on, it actually becomes... It would have been very important to know a bit more about some of the other characters. Yeah, not a bad movie. I think a movie that's worth seeing. Yeah, go go see it. There's nothing else to see in theaters, by the way. There's nothing else. This, it, this is the most dire movie season I think I've ever experienced. There is nothing out there. Once you see like the one or two movies that are worth it, like that's it. You want to go to the movies today? There's nothing playing except things you already saw and those dang minions. Is that that's it?
even like Alamo Draft House, which I thought was supposed to be like an artsy theater. They're like they, they is is just minions there as well. I mentioned this on Twitter and somebody pointed out like we actually lucked out because Top Gun was supposed to come out like two years ago. So imagine this summer movie season without Top Gun. What would even be the point? What would even be the point? Folks, thank you so much for listening to Culture tonight. If you want to call in, talk about anything, talk about Nope. Tell me what you think. I've got a question for you. And this came up because of a a tweet that went super viral about Jordan Peele. What's the best three film run by a horror director? The best three film run by a horror director. Three films in a row. All horror, same director. What's the best run? Because the guy, the guy on uh, Twitter, I th- and oh God, I think his, his name's Adam Ellis. He's actually the guy who invented the, uh, who drew the Let People Enjoy Things cartoon. But he's grown out of that. He denounced that. He he denounced the El Pet cartoon. But he got in the news this week because he was he was you know kissing Jordan Peele's ass a bit too hard, basically trying to proclaim him the greatest horror director of all time, all time, based on his three film run, which I is you know it's a good run. It's not a bad run, but I don't think it's the best ever. I don't know. I'm going to pull up some of my faves and see. What's the best three film horror run? Let me see. Let me get Cronenberg up here. If you want to call in, give me your thoughts on this. Please feel free to do so. Just hit that button. Call in. We'll talk some horror or wrestling or whatever you want to talk about. If you have a question, please feel free to hit me up. All right, Cronenberg. All right, let's see. We got three three runs from Cronenberg. We got, all right. So we have Shivers, Rabid, The Brood. That's a good run. I actually think, though, the run is probably The Brood, Scanners, Videodrome. That's impeccable. I think The Brood, Scanners, Videodrome, hard to top. Maybe you go Videodrome, Dead Zone, The Fly. I don't like The Dead Zone as much as Scanners, though. That's kind of the difference for me. Love to fly. Fly might be Cronenberg's best. Dead Zone to fly. Dead Ringers. Mm, I don't know. And Dead Ringers kind of a thriller. Kind of a thriller. So 
So I think I'm going to go with the Brood Scanners Videodrome. That's what's what for Cronenberg. Uh, Let me see Carpenter. This Carpenter got you going. Speaking of Carpenter and, you know, three movies, I have to catch up on the new Halloween movie. I didn't finish the last one with uh, where Kyle Richards made her return. I didn't. I started it but did not finish it, unfortunately. The new trailer looked good, though. I think the new trailer came... The trailer for the third one looked pretty good. All right, so let, let's see what we got for Cronenberg. So... Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, New York. That's not it for me. Oh, this is it for me. It's the thing of, it's of course, it's the thing. Prince of Darkness. And they live. Wait, no, you got Christine in there. You got Christine in there. I don't know. I might have to go back and watch Christine. So maybe it's Prince of Darkness, They Live. And in the mouth of madness. Now that's cheating because there is body bags in there. Body bags is in there, but technically he didn't direct all of that. He didn't direct all of body bags. I don't think memoirs of an invisible man counts as a horror movie either. In fact, I think uh, it was Car- Carpenter's name specifically came up when this guy was gassing up Peel, and Peel himself joined in and was like, "No, I'm not the greatest horror director of all time. It's a bit too much. It's so strange. It's very strange. It's a very strange. Uh, it, it's almost like so many of Peel's fans are like the characters in Get Out that he was mocking." It's like one black guy is making, you know, these artsy horror movies that break, you know, containment. Because there's tons of artsy black horror movies. They just don't get into the Obama atmosphere. And now that, and as soon as Peel gets here, everybody wants to declare him the greatest of all time. And he doesn't want it. He's not even trying to get it. (laughs) Like at first he got met, it was people kept trying to say he wasn't horror because he was just too good. He was just too smart. And he was like, no, 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 I'm trying to make horror movies. He kind of took offense to that at the time. I don't know where Nope fits in that though. Because it, it does not feel that much like a horror movie to me. It was a movie, it, it felt, you know, a lot of ways very sentimental. Very hopeful. And and it is about like. Ultimately about like. Influencers like. Trying to hit it big. And that's. It just wasn't that scary to me. I think I thought the. I don't know what to say. How to call it without spoilers. I thought the central thing of it. And what we learned about that. That was cool. That was cool as shit. It was fun. It was a blast to see. It was interesting. It could have been a little bit scarier. It could have been a little bit more. We could have seen a little bit more. I think with um, most, I think with every pill movie, 
he asks you uh, to believe in two pieces of magic instead of just the one that most movies do. You know what I mean? It's like in um, them. Was it was it called them or us? I forget the one. I there's too many movies. They're just they also have a movie called I think they them coming out a horror movie as well. Yeah, us. So in us, we're supposed to believe that all these people, like everybody, has like a doppelganger living underground, right? And that's asking us to believe a lot. Like, is there underground, like, economy, underground, like, you know, power systems, sewers, all all that sorts of stuff, you know? Now, I think Peel does a good job of kind of distracting you from that question so you don't have to ask it. In, in us, because, you know, there is so much going on, you are so scared a lot of the times. And nope, is is not quite like that. It's not quite as tense all the time. And our characters are usually throwing themselves into danger as opposed to running from danger. So you spend more time asking, huh, but wait a minute, what about this? Why aren't they, why isn't this happening? Why didn't these people see this, hear about that? So you ask more questions because you're not spending as much time scared if you catch my drift. But it's still a good movie. Still a good movie, Nope. I enjoyed it. I think it's worth seeing. I was reading some, you know, think pieces on it and perhaps the political message. I didn't find one that I really bought into. It seemed like people were kind of trying to put some meaning to it that didn't really feel like it was there. Again, it just seemed to me like a movie about making movies and the importance of making movies and being what it means to be in Hollywood and, you know, rich black folk shit. <laughs> that I don't quite identify with, but maybe that's what Peel is right now. All right, we got a caller on the line. Caller, what is up? How's it going? Unmute yourself. What's up, man? Me and my girlfriend been complaining about the quality of movies lately, man. We watched uh, Everything Everywhere all at once last night. And neither one of us were very impressed. Like, we kind of expected it to be, like, a real cerebral-type movie, kind of, like, intellectually stimulating. But it was, like, all dick-butt jokes, you know? Yeah, Adult Swim, live-action Adult Swim, as uh, Jack called it. Called it Rick and Morty, the Sausage uh, Fingers. And that that movie, you know, it disappointed me because a lot of people said how great and touching it was. Like... It was cool, but the directors themselves even says like, oh, we were just like trying to make the Matrix again. And then they add in a bunch of like silly humor, as you said, and make it a movie about like a fair, you know, a real, you know, it has a real emotional core to it. But it's a very kind of small story, small stakes at the end of the day. Nothing, not that much changes except like a mom is a little bit less shitty to her daughter, which is important, which is the thing, but that's not really, you know, the high concept uh, science fiction movie I was promised. Yeah, I think they just oversold it. If they'd have been a little more honest about the movie, I might have enjoyed it more, you know. I think that's important when we make movies, but I've got interest in making movies myself, man. There's a lot of human history that not a lot of people know about that I think would make fantastic horror movie plots 
So I'm really interested in making uh, his, historical horror movies and ready to start rocking on that. But uh, yeah, I, I encourage everyone to start writing scripts. We need we need better material. <laughs> oh hell yeah! I, it, give me a can you give me a pitch? You got got anything that you're willing to share? Yes. All right. Um, see, some of these ideas are so good. I'm like not like like for instance, uh, nope. I kind of have my own idea for a nope movie, but I'm not I'm not ready to share that one yet because I might actually make that happen. But as far as like uh, like you know, I would like to recreate some of the slave stories of escaped slaves and stuff like that, and some of the the very scary situations in America. Um, also, like Illuminati movies, I want to make movies about the Illuminati and like these backstories. I want to make the characters. I want to have. Uh, everything in there, you know, like tell the Jeffrey Epstein story, like act it out as a narrative. Oh, yeah. So I, I think that would be really cool and interesting. Yeah, I, like mean, I was movie. reading this book. My bad. I'll oh, just recommend ahead. one movie that kind of, kind of, it's a movie that kind of reminds me of that. And it's called The Eye of the Devil. It's an old movie where Sharon Tate plays the role of an Illuminati witch. And it was a very kind of, uh, it was a very telling movie and it was a good one. It's all in black and white. You can watch it on YouTube for free. Highly recommended. It's called the eye of the devil. And it's, a uh, Sharon Tate as an Illuminati witch. I'm going to pass it to you. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Eye of the devil with Sharon Tate. Have, Sharon Tate. That it, oh that movie it does look good it looks very very good Sharon that's Tate interesting of the Manson murders she was murdered by the Manson family while she was pregnant yeah and she was also psychologically abused by Roman Polanski so a little interesting history there yeah no doubt about that Roman Polanski still working over there in um in Europe in- incredible yeah it's kind of amazing. Uh, what we let people get away with. Yeah, let's make a movie about Roman Polanski. <laughs> you know yeah, well, oh, well, that would I get, be I... a good one. Oh, that would be a good one, man. There's recently a book written called Chaos, A Secret History of Charles Manson in the 60s. Oh, and yes, that, that would be. A... Well, the thing is, they actually already made like a, they made the Charles, they made two Charles Manson TV shows and the movie. So I don't think we're going to get any more charles manson content for a while because all the studios were rushing to do it and then tarantino did one as well see but there's new there's new information now it's not just about charles manson anymore it's about the people surrounding charles manson that make this story interesting so charles manson is just a very just one element of this story um, but the people surrounding Charles Manson are actually just as interesting as he is. And I think that would be a cool story to tell. I, and Polanski and, and his relationship with Sharon Tate and some of the evidence they uncovered, um, during the Manson murders, which would definitely make a really good movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Brady, thank you so much for calling in. Folks, we're going to call it a night tonight. Thank you so much for listening to Culture. Much appreciated. Oh, we went past midnight. Thank you so much for staying up with us. Have a good one. Have a good night. Peace.